I went to a chiropractor. And the first time I went in, <clears throat> he, he sent me to this table. And I laid down on this table, and it felt like a bowling ball was under the table that they rolled up and down my back. And, and it, anyway, I just... I'm going to stop doing that before I embarrass myself anymore. <laughs> anyway, they did that for about eight to ten minutes. Then he said, okay, get up, or the, the, the girl that was helping. She said, get up, go over and lay up face down on this table over here. I did, and they uh, did electric shock therapy on my back, and my muscles in my back contracted and then relaxed, contracted and relaxed. And, and so I got a good flavor of what labor was like. <laughs> was it, Stay off that one. Let that go. <laughs> anyway, I saw, but it hurt like. <laughs> then they stopped that. They took he the doctor or the chiropractor then took me back to his torture chamber and had me lay down and and put my left leg over here and my shoulders this way and he put his weight on my leg and and <laughs> I mean it sounded like a drum roll. My, my spine cracked. Then he sat up at the top, had me lay on my back, and uh, he grabbed my head and... <laughs> and I was, man, while you're at it, Doc, I mean, man, my, my hands and arms have gone numb lately. He'll lay on your belly, and, then, and he did a rib adjustment, and I was like, man, this feels good. So I had to do that five times. One particular thing that he did was, it was a range of motion, uh, and, and he had me on my, the side that was hurting, he had me lay on that side, and then extend my leg, and he dug, it felt like his elbow was going all the way through, oh. and then the bad one, the side that hurt, he, he did the same thing, and right at the point of pain, he just dug in as deep as he could. After five appointments, the burning in my leg, every once in a while I would feel it. The pain in my leg was gone. I, I'm, hey, it was awesome. I feel great. I was, my, my spine, whatever was going on with my spine was, something was out of alignment. Oh, I gotta tell you, the best one, the best thing that he did. There's another table. I laid down on this table, they put a harness around my waist and a harness around my chest. The harness that was around my waist, they attached a chain to that went down to the end of the table where my feet were. And we're only going to start you with 60 pounds this week, Mr. Bundick. Okay, what does that mean? And they pushed the start button and it stretched me. The, the one on my chest was holding me up here, and the one around my hips was pulling. I, I just laid on the table and yelled, Freedom! <laughs> anyway, all of those things together. Was that not, that didn't work, James? Was, come on, man. All of those things together got me in alignment. The pain in my hip and, and leg is virtually gone. 
maybe you're like me, but there are times where my attitude gets out of alignment. Anybody? We don't need to do a show of hands, but my attitude can get out of alignment. And there are times that I need help getting back into alignment. I am glad that God blessed me with, she's gone. <laughs> Where'd my wife go? <laughs> anyway, she did, okay. Uh, the Lord has blessed me with a wife that helps me get back into alignment. For example, uh, there was a time when uh, our boys were reaching the teenage years. Garrett was driving. Grayson was three years behind him. But they're, so they're at that age. It's been a priority of Catherine and I in our parenting to allow our children, to allow our boys, to make good decisions, age-appropriate decisions, as they grow older. Well, <clears throat> when I was 16... And I was asking my mom and dad if I could go out on Friday night with my friends in their car. The way I was raised, dad had a curfew. Anybody else have a curfew? Son, be home at midnight. If you come in at 1201, you're going to hang those keys on that hook and you won't touch them again until I say okay. So be it. Anna, did you grow up? Is that the same rule for you? You're the baby, though, so you probably got to do whatever you wanted. You could stay out all night if you wanted to. I had to be home at midnight. I can remember the time when I came home at 12.01, snuck in the room. I'm home. Hang your keys on the hook, son. So I did. There was a consequence. So that's the way I was raised. So when our boys got to this age... It's the way I was raised. It's the way we're going to do it. And as Catherine and I talked about it, Catherine, Catherine said, why don't we allow him to make a good decision on his own? Instead of telling him a time, why don't we allow him, Garrett, to, what time do you think you ought to be home, son? Is 11 o'clock okay? That's great, son. Because I was ready to say midnight, just like my daddy told me. I'm thankful that God blessed me with a wife that helps me be a better dad, that helps me be a better husband, that helps me be a better man. And today, as we work through our time together here for just a few minutes... I want us to really kind of hone in. This, this could impact any relationship in your life, a working relationship, a friendship, a parent relationship, child, spouse. I really want to hone in for just a few minutes on our marriage relationships. And, and, and again, I need to repeat what I repeated last, what I said last week. This message today is not for your spouse. It's for me and you. Deal? I'm not talking to your spouse. I'm talking to me and you. Are you and I 
one of those people that make our spouse better. Are you and I an elevator? Are we a lifter? Are, are, are we someone that takes our spouse to, to the place where, helps them get to that place where God's, God's designed them to be? Do we do that with our children? Are we one of those parents that lifts and helps elevate our children to where God has uniquely set them up to be? An encourager, a coach, a mentor. Or am I a destructor? Am I one that tears down? Am I one that's known for being critical? So that's something I want us to wrestle with. Am I a parent? Am I a husband that is a lifter in my home? Catherine certainly is that in my life. I want to encourage all of us today to work to be that kind of friend, spouse, coworker. That's a lifter. Because you're pretty good on your own, but let me tell you something. You're better with your spouse. You're better together. Because there's times where your attitude gets out of alignment. And it is so good to have someone that helps you get back into alignment. The initial pain might be great, but the long-term effect is so much better. Are you, are you one that elevates your spouse? I want to look at a story in Scripture <clears throat> that... Uh, we see a spouse that is uh, helping out her, her husband. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's a story of Nabal, Nabal and Abigail and their encounter with the future king, David. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but it is chapter 25 that tells the story of this couple. This is a point in life where David is uh, growing in popularity. He's not king, he's the future king, and, and uh, he's, he's buddies with Jonathan, the, the son of Saul, who is the king. Saul, I'm sorry, Jonathan and, and David are buddied up. Jonathan's done a couple of things that protected he was an elevator. He elevated David, took care of him, covered his back. So David and his crew, his band of brothers, they're kind of on the run at this point. They've set, they'll settle in this valley for a while, and while they're there, they'll take care of whoever's in that valley. They'll settle over here and take care of them. So we come to chapter 25, and, and the first verse of that chapter lets us know that Samuel has passed away. And then it goes straight into the story of Nabal and Abigail. It gives us some background on who uh, <clears throat> Nabal was, a very wealthy man. He had this many thousand goats. He had this many thousand cattle. He was very wealthy, had land. Came the time of year, festival time of year, and, and they were shearing their, their uh, sheep and the celebration was, was, was on. 
David hears that that's what's happening over there in their valley, so he sends a crew of his messengers, of his men, and says, go to this man Nabal, he's wealthy, and remind him of who I am, and, tell, and, and, and I send you in my name, and tell him of all the things that we did for him while we were in their valley for a while, how we took care of them. Nothing of theirs was missing. Just tell Nabal that, and, and uh, please be generous with our men. Share with our men some of your excess. So they go. These messengers go to, to Nabal and, and uh, share exactly what David instructed them to share. And Nabal responds <laughs> uh, with insults. Who is this man, David? Who is this son of Jesse? A term that King Saul used, a derogatory phrase. Who is this guy? Man, there's, there's servants that are departing their masters all over. The, I don't know who you are. You could say you're anybody. Get out of here. And so they leave. They go home, and they tell David what just happened. David, whew, all right, see how it is? I need 400 of you. The first 400 that line up. Strap on your sword, because we're about to go take care of business. We treated them good, and look how they responded. All right, see how it is. Strap it on, because we're about to go. And hey, may God deal with me ever so severely if any of the males in that camp are alive tomorrow morning. He leaves 200 men back behind to take care of the stuff. So off they go. In the meantime, one of the servants that was in Nabal's area that was there when they saw the interaction between David's men and Nabal went and told Abigail, Nabal's wife. Abigail was like, he, he did what? <laughs> and she responds very quickly. She jumps into action. She says, I need you to go and get me so many pounds of wheat. I need you to go and get me so many pounds of this and that. And she gathers together a feast, loads them on donkeys, and says, you guys go ahead of me. Start. They're going to be coming from that direction through the valley. I want you to go ahead of me. I'm right behind you. And we'll intercept David. So they do. They get there. They Sure enough, they meet them in the valley. Here comes David. And, and if you've read any of the stories about David... He had a certain aptitude for taking care of business. And he was coming in a bad mood. His attitude was out of alignment. So here he comes. Miss Abigail comes this direction. She sees him. She, falls off. she gets off her donkey and falls on her face. Says, says, my Lord, let the guilt fall on me. I'm going to start in verse 23 and read for a few verses. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and, and hear the words of your servant. Let, on, let not only your, 
my Lord, regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for, for as his name is, he is. Nabal is a name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man when, of my Lord, who, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from the blood guilt from saving with your own hand. Now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord as Nabal. And now let this present, this gift that I'm bringing, that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men whom my, who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. She goes to David and says, listen, I know that my husband did you wrong. I know that. But it's no reason for you to have blood guilt on your hands. I'm even willing to let the guilt fall on me. David looks up at her and says, Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hands. As I, as I read and have read this over and over, I, I thought when I first read her words about her husband, because his name means fool, I thought, man, she's just throwing him under the bus. But as I continue to read, she's saving his life. She intercepted David and saved his life. See, there are times that my attitudes get out of alignment. And I'm blessed to have a spouse, to have a wife that helps me get back into alignment before I get myself into trouble. Does that make sense? Not only did Abigail take to save Nabal's life, she kept blood guilt from being on David as well. She, she was looking out for him as well. There's several things that I think that we can gather from Miss Abigail. By the way, to finish the story, uh, David accepts her gift, says, go in peace. She goes home, finds Nabal drunk in a party. She doesn't tell him what happens that evening. She waits till the morning when he's sobered up. And she goes in and tells him. Bible records that Nabal's heart stopped. Some would say that he had a heart attack. Some would say he went into a coma. He, he had a stroke. He, something happened. His heart stopped. Ten days later, he passed away. On hearing that Nabal had passed away, David thought, that girl's pretty wise. And he calls upon her to come and be his wife and she does.
But I think that there are things that you and I can take away from this little story and apply it to our situation. To our marriages, to our relationships, to things that are going on. First, I want us to see this, that she acted with tact. Tactfulness. Is that a word that describes you in dealing with your spouse? Isn't it funny that sometimes we feel the greatest freedom to act however we want, whether rude or nice, with those people that we love the most? Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we treat the people at work better than we treat our spouse. It appears to me that Abigail, in this story, handled herself with tact. She came to David, didn't gripe him out. She spoke clearly and handled herself with tact. She goes back home and waits till the appropriate time. And she handles her, says, I'm going to treat you with respect. So, as we, you and I, consider our own relationships, whether it is at home, with a wife, a husband, a child, a parent, is that something that describes me? If not, let's go to work. Another thing that I think that we can see in Miss Abigail is that her heart was in the right place. I put it in your outline, not that we see that she, was, she spent time in prayer, but I think for you and I, I believe that it is important that you and I, when we are going through a situation, whether you want to call it an argument or not, uh, let's make sure our heart is in the right place. Huh? How did James say it? Be quick to listen, slow to, and slow to anger. I think what James is trying to say might be, man, be prayed up before you go and follow up on this conversation. Make sure your heart is in the right place. Man, the tongue, that thing in your mouth, it's just like a rudder on a ship. It's small, but it can turn an aircraft carrier. Make sure your heart is in the right place as you and your spouse work through that situation. Hey, man, handle yourself with tact. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to be prayed up. I'm going to handle myself. My heart's going to be in the right place. Next thing I want us to see that I, I, I believe is important for us is to remain loyal. To be loyal to, to our spouse throughout difficult circumstances, through, through difficult topics, things that we got to work through. I still remain true to the fact that it's me and you till death do us part. I'm with you. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. We are going to work through this. I'm with you. And the last thing that I believe we see in Abigail is humility. She saw David on the, and she bowed her face to the ground. Humility. 
When it comes to our spouse at home, is that something that describes me? Is it something that describes you? A willingness, well, okay, it's happened once, but a willingness to be wrong. Is that right, Catherine? One time I was wrong. Once or twice. I don't know about all that twice stuff. But. Am I willing to enter into a conversation, or whatever word you want to use there, humble. Humble. We're better together when we help each other work through circumstances, when we help each other understand our perspective, where we're coming from. As I've said before, I'll say it again, great marriages are not made up of great lovers. They're made up of great communicators. We're better together. I have also often, um, as we talk about this issue of better together, last week I gave you a list of, of terms, and, and I want to give you another one. You see it at the bottom of your page there. There's three terms, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Our life group this last week looked at James chapter 3, verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? He says, let him by his, his good deeds. I thought I had it memorized. <laughs> Demonstrate with meekness of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Proverbs chapter 1, it's printed on the back of your outline. Uh, you'll see over and over these three terms. They're different terms. They're different Hebrew words. Knowledge. I've, I hope that I, I continue to impress upon, I hope that my influence uh, in our church is one that impresses, impresses the most, let me say that again, I pray that my influence is one that impresses upon each of us the importance of knowing God's word, of being in God's word. Something that I don't think that I've spent enough time on is the importance of understanding God's Word. Priorities in our life. May I encourage every one of us to make God's Word one of our highest priorities in our life. To spend time in it, to know it, and to understand it. So let's look at these three terms. The first one is this, knowledge. Let's just kind of go down that list. I, I, it, it talks about facts. It, it, let's help me go through this. Uh, facts and, and, and information, memory. You can memorize facts. Does anybody still have your times tables memorized? Huh? Man, I lost that years ago. Bob, that was a... Memory, students, all right, facts. Teacher gets up in front of the classroom and gives facts. Students are to take down these, make note of them, memorize them so they can pass a test, right? Let's go on to understanding, because I, I think that knowledge is, we get that. Understanding, here's, here's, here's your list here. Meaning, not just the fact, but the meaning. I get it. Uh, principles, reason, 
teachers, try to help us understand. The last one is wisdom. And this is where where rubber meets the road. What to do next? David said to, to Abigail, Blessed be you for your discernment. I looked the word up, and it says discernment means this, to know what to do next. It's wisdom. God bless you for your discernment. Man, when she got the report from that servant, she goes, I need you to make this kind of food. I need you to make this kind of food. I need you to load them on the donkey because we're gone. We got, she knew what to do next. And, and wisdom is all about application. It's about action. And it's about practitioners. Putting it into practice. Now listen, each of those items, those lists, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, they're good on their own. But they're better together. For you just to know John 3.16, here I'll show you. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not but have. Hey, almost the whole room knows it. I'm going to guess that a large portion of this room understands it, that God sent his son. He loved me so much that he sent his son to pay the price that I should have to pay. He did it for me. And if I'll believe in him, I'll live with him forever. And if I don't, hell is my destination. Now, wisdom is the action that goes along with that. It's the living it out. Here's basically the definition of wisdom. Living how God wants you to live. It's not on your outline, but hey. Living how God wants you to live. These three terms are, are, are better together. I, I was trying to think of an example of what's an application in day in and day out life that all of us could relate to. You know what I came up with? The internal combustion system. Right? Gasoline. I know what gas is. It's what makes my car run. I know that, I, I think I even understand a little bit. Now, there's some motorheads in the room that are going to probably laugh at my simple understanding. See, I know what gas does. My understanding is that it goes in the gas tank, goes down a fuel line, and makes its way into the carburetor. Mike, stay with me. You're already grinning, man. Come on. <laughs> It makes its way into the carburetor, and this carburetor uh, spits fuel, and there's, in this chamber, there's spark plugs. Am I close so far? This means yes, this means no. All right, I'm, all right so I'm on so far. Hey, and, and this fuel that's been sprayed, and this spark by the spark plug, causes an explosion which forces a piston to move. Okay, all right, heads are shaking back there. That those pistons are timed up with a timing belt that keeps all of them firing in sync. When it is put into gear, all of these explosions pushing these pistons will cause the car to move. 
I think I have a rough understanding of the internal combustion system. It's probably pretty rough, but it's. So what's the, what's the wisdom? What's the application? Buy gasoline. You need it. <laughs> if you want your car to run, right? Making God's word a priority in our life is important. Understanding God's word, possibly more important. But folks, unless we live it out, unless we put it into action, James speaks to this as well. All we're doing is being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. And today I want to encourage each and every one of us, me and you, not your spouse, me and you, to apply principles, relationship principles to our lives. Let's do something about it. If tact is not part of, of your relationship, man, let's go to work on that. Humility, respect, being prayed up. When we go in, when we have situations that we got to work through, let's make each other better. Let's be an elevator of our spouse. Let's be an encourager. Let's be better together. To know, to understand, and to live how God wants us to live. Let's bow our heads. You might be here today and uh, God has laid a circumstance, he's laid a person on your heart. And maybe today what God is wanting to help you get back into adjustment, you might need to go and ask forgiveness. There might be someone that you need to restore a relationship. There might be some words that have been spoken to your spouse, to your child, that you need to just go and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that may not be for his or her sake, that might be for your sake, because it's eating you up on the inside. Maybe you need to go to that person and talk about an issue. Talk and handle yourself with tact and, and respect and humility. Be prayed up. Maybe today you find yourself here and you need to put the swords away. Maybe you're like David and his crew, man. You're ready to go and chew a hole in somebody. And God's saying, easy now, easy. Remember forgiveness, remember grace, remember mercy. Slow down. I don't know what God wants you to do in, in whatever relationship it is that you might be thinking about, but I know that God wants you to live in a way that he set out in his word that we model after our Savior, that we have an attitude of Christ. 
maybe today is a day of restoration between you and your spouse. You and your friend. And men, I'm going to charge you with going ahead and taking the first step. Lead out in reconciliation. Father, we ask this morning that uh, your spirit would uh, direct us, not only direct our thoughts, but it would direct our hearts and our motives. Father, you would give us the courage to act, the humility to respond in, in your likeness. Lord, I lift up the marriages in this room. I pray that each one of them would be strengthened. I pray that every spouse in the room would, would have a willingness to elevate the other. Father, you've been so good to us. And I just pray that each of us would be willing to pass that along. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Hey, we're about to sing a 